Well, I'd like us to turn to uh, Luke chapter 2, and this will be the last time we're looking at Luke's gospel for a while, uh, I trust, and um, I want to begin reading at verse 8 down to 21. So you remember that Jesus has just been born and laid in a manger. Verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And I'll stop there. Verse 20. So this evening I want you to take this last look at the gospel and... Next week and next year we'll do something new, both morning and evening. Um, but as we, we look at this passage, uh, we're going to think about the, the glory of God displayed at the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this glory and its effects in the story of the shepherds. And in that story, we get an insight into what's going on in the hearts of those shepherds. Where they go from being filled with fear, so you see there in verse 9, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And by the end of the story, they are raised to the heights of joy. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And the reason is because that they're like that, they've undergone that transformation, is because of what they've seen and heard in the night. And they, they see the appearance of an angel um, of the Lord when they were out in the field. They hear the delivery of good news from the angel. And then amazingly, this multitude of angels appears uh, and then begins to sing, uh, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then in an instant they're gone. That great host of angels, gone. They've returned into heaven, verse 15. 
And those shepherds then go to Bethlehem. They find Jesus and tell everyone what they've heard. And in all of this, they are full of eagerness and a sense of wonder. And they return back to their fields with their sheep uh, filled with praise. And at the centre of this account is that brief song from the great multitude of heaven in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. And so I want to just reflect with you on the glory of God, and the effect that the glory of God has on people. Uh, and looking at it from different viewpoints. So, so I want to begin, first of all, by saying that the glory of God induces fear. That's the first thing. The glory of God, when you appreciate the glory of God, it produces fear in the, the one the beholder. And so here these shepherds are going about their business. And something spectacular happens. Looking after the sheep, and then something amazing happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, wouldn't you be filled with fear? If something like that happens, you're going about your everyday life, and your ordinary things, and then suddenly you're surrounded by glory, you're surrounded by uh, light, and suddenly you think, what on earth is going on? You're full of fear about what's happening. It's like this great floodlight switches on around you. And suddenly, everything's commotion. You think, what on earth is going on? You're scrambling to get to your feet. And you're, you're looking for knives or staffs or whatever to defend yourself. Because maybe somebody's coming at you. But you don't know where this light's coming from. You don't know what's going on. And you're scared. Yeah. You might think, well, okay, that's just a, you might think it's a fairy story. People do Many mainstream churches treat it as a fairy story. It's just a a tradition. But let me tell you, there are good reasons to believe this event. That this event actually happened. If you look at verses 17 through to 19, uh, you'll read this. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. So the shepherds are in the business of telling people what they've just experienced. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So everybody's talking about it, and news is spreading. And then verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And that's almost, you might read that and think that's just a kind of passing note from Luke. But it's actually really important for Luke's writing of the gospel. Because Luke wasn't there. Remember, Luke, Luke comes much later, he's converted. Much later under the ministry of Paul, decades later. But remember what Luke said about how he had put this gospel together. Back in chapter 1, verse four, 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that's his friend, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. See, what Luke has done is he's gathered all these things together. He's talked to the eyewitnesses. 
who have seen all these things. And Mary's amongst them, and maybe the shepherds were too. And Luke is passing on this eyewitness testimony. And he's presenting them as facts from the people who were involved. So it's a wonderful story. And Luke is eager to tell us how true these things were. So here's the thing. In this experience of light and power and glory shining all around them, they're full of fear. So let's not have this idea that's a nice little nativity scene play, a play scene. Uh, you know, everything gets kind of sanitized and you know, dialed down a bit. But this is glory. This is divine glory this time up. Power of it. The God has come in. And they're absolutely terrified. Now, friends, this is what happens when, uh, when someone is bumped out of their everyday godless life and he or she comes face to face with divine things. It's like when you've been fast asleep and somebody comes along and rudely shakes you awake and you're thinking, what's going on? Ah, 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 who's doing this to me? And this is what God does with people. He invades their lives. And so many people I know who have become Christians have this sense that they have they've been shaken out of their stupor, out of their uh, sleepiness. And they're now awake. And they feel themselves in the presence of glory. God's glory. The glory of the Lord shone all around you. And when you've been woken up like that, when the glory of God has broken into your life like that, it's a fearful thing. They were afraid. And most people in, in this world go through their lives with their heads down, as it were. They're focused on their daily lives. They're thinking about their jobs. They're thinking about their families. Thinking about a bit of entertainment. Thinking about a nice holiday in the summer already. People are planning for all of that. Something to look forward to. But such people who have their heads down looking at all of these things. They go through their lives with this little niggling thought in the back of their minds. And maybe there's something more than this. Because no matter how much I enjoy what I'm doing and who I'm with today, one day it's all going to come to an end. That's what people are secretly thinking. I'm going to die one day. Decay is coming. So to be so negative. But it's true, isn't it? You know, I'm at that age where decay is on its way. It's having its effects. And people who get to my stage in life quite a retirement yet but people I know have retired they, they get to retirement and they begin to ask the questions is this all, all that life is about? Is there, is there not more to life than this? And often you know, such a question scares people doesn't it? So they double down on this life try harder to get more out of this life but the questions won't go away is there more to life? Surely there's got to be more than this. 
And you get, end up with a, a life that's driven by fear. This is what these men were doing. They were doing what they had done for years and years. Shepherds. Passed down from generation. School. Passed down from generation. Doing the only thing they knew how to do. Looking after the sheep. Day after day. Week after week. Year after year. The same old thing. Day and year. Then something happens. Something happens. Something from another world seems to invade their lives. This invasion comes uninvited. They don't expect it. But it's like a divine invasion. And that world that they have sought to suppress and ignore is now unignorable. Because they are now in the very presence of God. God seems to be with them and they are full of fear. It's the kind of thing that's happened to almost every person I know who's undergone a face-to-face meeting with, from face-to-face with the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it were. They're disturbed. Initially, they're disturbed, they're upset about it. Because they see the implications for their lives, and their lives are going to be turned upside down by this invasion of God. And as it were, you find yourself suddenly naked before God. You're totally exposed before God, before His power and His glory. With nothing to shield you, nothing to protect you. And you feel that your life might be over. That's how many people become Christians. They have to go through that experience of feeling that they're utterly powerless and helpless before God. And His power and glory. I wonder this evening if that's the kind of experience that's happened to you. You come face to face with God this way. To come face to face with the holiness of God. The glory of God. It will be happening to you this evening as we meet together. But every fibre of your being wants to get up and run away and go somewhere else. Get away from the presence of God. To get away from the divine glory of God. Well, don't run away just yet. Stick with me a bit longer. Because we need to understand something, something more. Yes, the glory of God brings fear. Here's the second point. The glory of God with Jesus brings joy. We have to account for the fact that these shepherds were transformed from fearful men to joyful men. Drawing attention now to the glory of God. What accounts for this transformation? And it is the revelation that God's glory comes with good news. To verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. A Saviour has come. A Saviour? Saved from what? properly recognize who this baby is, you need to understand the answer to that question. What is it that Jesus has come to save people from? And we get an idea of that later on in the Gospel. When Jesus has grown up 
and he tells his disciples, he says, the Son of Man, that's himself, he says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Come to seek and to save that which is lost. You and I, left to ourselves, we are lost. Without Jesus Christ. There's a profound sense in which the whole world is lost. It's out in the wilderness. It's lost and desperate, trying to find happiness and peace in the world, but it can't find it. And this baby is a saviour. So he's the Savior. He's also the Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means anointed one. Anointed one. And all I, all I want you to remember about his, this name is that Christ was promised long, long before he appeared. See, the reason that there's an Old Testament here, there in our Bibles is to tell us that Christ is expected. What's the Bible, what's the Bible about? What's the Old Testament about? Pointing forward to Jesus. Looking forward to Jesus. And here he is. He's come. The baby. The son of David and the city of David. And so this announcement of Jesus is a great one made to these humble shepherds on a hillside. And it's a, an announcement that's accompanied with this great choir of heavenly angels. Glory to God in the highest. And you see what the choir is doing in heaven. It's drawing attention to the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those. That very glory with which those shepherds were struck with fear now becomes an object of worship and praise of God. See how they're turning, this multitude are turning things round. Drawing attention to the glory of God is good news. And it's out of this inside of this glory appears his infinite goodness, God's infinite goodness. And out of his goodness and love, the Savior has now come. So the glory of God becomes something to be rejoiced in. Why? Because it's no longer God is no longer seen as a fearsome enemy. He's seen as a friend who provides a saviour. Now it comes to announce it. So the glory of God should be rejoiced in. He comes not as an ogre, not as a judge, a faceless judge, but he comes as a loving, giving father, father of the son. The glory of God is something to rejoice in. Indeed, it becomes a motive for your life. It becomes a, a motive for everybody who's discovered it. To glorify God. That's what Christians do now. That's what it means to be a Christian. To live for the glory of God. To bring glory to God. To point people to the glory of God. So that they can see Him. We glorify God not in the sense that we give something that he doesn't have. He has it already. Uh, All we're doing, he is so full in his being of glory that there's nothing that anybody, any creature can ever add to it. 
But we can point to it. That's what we mean by glorify him. We can point to the glory of God. And get everybody to look at the glory of God. The goodness of God. Say come to this God. See what he's done. Sending a saviour. A Christ. For us. And so your life becomes a life of praise. Not just meeting here and a meeting like this, but as you go about the earth, go about your business, do your job, raise your families, whatever. It becomes a, a way of bringing glory to God. That's a testament of Christians, isn't it? Christians live for the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul, that was his testimony. He was at one time an enemy of God, remember? Angry, covetous. And he stood watching Stephen uh, as Stephen preached his heart out for the gospel before he was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. And Paul was there, egging them on, looking after the coats of the men who were stoning Stephen. And I think Paul was driven by fear. I think he may, may well have seen something in Stephen that, that filled his heart with fear. He saw a glory in the preaching of Stephen as Stephen opened up the, the scriptures and as it were, heaven seemed to open up for him. And Paul, I think, was full of fear at this point. Because he knew that if he had that faith, his life would be totally overturned and upended. And then it was. Not long afterwards, he goes on the road to Damascus to try and shut down another Christian group. And he meets Jesus on the road. The risen Jesus who comes in glory. He's thrown onto his back. He calls him Lord. discovers Jesus. He's truly alive. And he entered into the greatest of joys. Knowing Christ. And then, bending every fiber of his being to make Christ known in the preaching of the gospel. Friends, let me just pause there for a moment and may I ask you a question or two about your own heart. Has, has this sort of transformation happened to you where you've gone from fear of God to great joy in God's glory? Has that transformation happened to you? the grace of God come to you in such a way that you suddenly realise how much joy there is in Jesus Christ. See, it seems to me that there can be no place for, for a dull apathy about Christ. You know, if somebody claims to be close to God, they can never be apathetic about relationship to God. Yet why is it that there are so many Best to be Christian, but seem to be marked by apathy in regard to things eternal. It seems to me that one thing a person cannot do in met God is apathetic. You're either full of fear as someone concerned about your eternal destiny, or you're someone full of desire to glorify God and sing and speak his praises. This is the transformation that happens. And the only conclusion I can come to is that someone who is apathetic is someone who is not actually close to God at all. Are you close to God this evening? 
Are you finding your joy in the good news of Jesus Christ, your Savior? Has your life been transformed by this revelation from on high? Does it mean you want to join with the angels in glorifying God? Well, one final thing I want us to reflect on. It's the last statement in the angel's song that says that out of the glory comes peace on earth. Let me read the whole thing again. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. And that makes sense now, doesn't it? That this transformation from fear to joy is brings about a new peace in the soul and amongst people who have discovered it. A people who are no longer in opposition to God, who God who is feared as an enemy, but rather in love to God, he is now seen as the best of friends. And there is a peace of the soul. The peace is not just the absence of conflict. Most people are asking for peace all the time. When what, and, the, and what they're really asking for is absence of conflict. They don't want conflict in families. They don't want conflict between nations. They want conflict between groups of society. Can't there just be peace? Can't we just all get along? But peace is not just that. Peace, true peace, is a sense that everything is being put right by God. Just listen to what the Bible says about peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we, the church Christians, have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, through Jesus, that vertical relationship with God is restored. And we have peace with God. And then Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Roman verse, God promised it. As we pray and bring our needs to God, Paul says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's a different kind of peace. This is now the inner peace of a settled soul before God. So we know, know peace with God in terms of our relationship with Him. We're at peace with Him. But then in our souls we begin to experience peace, an inner peace. And then in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, Paul urges Christians to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, so people in, the, in churches uh, begin to have this bond of peace with one another. So we have peace with God, we have inner peace within ourselves, and then we begin to have peace within the community of God's people. See, the church is a beautiful thing. When the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit comes and reconciles people to God through Christ. We have this bond of peace. We're going to see these wonderful relationships being formed within the church. Like a family. Which we begin to love and cherish and feel we couldn't do without. And all the brokenness of our life to get fixed in that environment of peace that God has worked in us. One more verse. Romans 12, 18. Uh, Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, 
live peaceably with all. In other words, the peace that the people of God now experience amongst themselves has to go beyond the boundaries of the church and into the world, out into the community. But the presence of the church is a benefit to the world. We are salt and light to the world. We are light in a dark place, a city on a hill. People begin to see that announcement of the angels. Perhaps begin to see that that is not such a fanciful story after all. The peace of God. No, this just make sure you go away with this idea. The peace of God begins with peace. The peace of God begins with peace with God. Start, that's the starting point for everything else. And that peace that you have with God by His grace, as you come to Jesus Christ, is a peace that begins to work its way through all your relationships, within yourself as well. Your relationship with yourself, and then with your family, and then with your church, and then with the world outside. It begins with that peace with God. And that's why the angels coming of the Saviour, peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. These people God gathers into the church who are saved by grace. Those are the people with whom he is pleased. Not because they are great in themselves. He just loves them. The church of Jesus Christ. He's pleased with you. You know, that's the wonderful thing about being in a church. We don't come to God thinking... God hates me, or God is against me, or all these kind of things. We come reminding ourselves how much God loves us. He wants to forgive our sins. And he wants us to have peace with him, so we can have peace with one another. So we need to put our trust in Jesus Christ, don't we? Continually. As we go on in our Christian lives, continue to trust him and know his peace. Let's pray. Father, we pray you'd help us to have that sense that not only are we in the presence of glory, which causes us to be disturbed by the presence of God, but actually as we discover Jesus, we find that that glory is worth singing about. And as we do that, the peace of God works its way into our lives. Lord, help us to know all these benefits of the salvation of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.